This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of elbow dislocation from the trauma section on orthobullets.com. Elbow dislocations are the most common major joint dislocation second to the shoulder, and it is the most common dislocated joint in children. Elbow dislocations account for 10 to 25% of injuries to the elbow. Posterolateral is the most common type of dislocation, making up 80% of elbow dislocations. As far as the demographics, elbow dislocations predominantly affect patients between the age of 10 to 20 years old. With respect to the pathophysiology, as far as the mechanism for posterolateral dislocation, this is usually a combination of axial loading, supination slash external rotation of the forearm, and a valgus posterolateral force. Again, the mechanism for a posterolateral dislocation is usually a combination of axial loading, supination slash external rotation of the forearm, and valgus posterolateral force. A varus posteromedial mechanism combined with axial load and forearm external rotation has also been reported. Posterior dislocations may involve more than one injury mechanism. As far as the pathoanatomy, elbow dislocations are associated with complete or near-complete circular disruption of capsular ligamentous stabilizers. As far as the pathoanatomic cascade, progression of the injury is from lateral to medial. The LCL fails first and is the primary lesion, and the MCL fails last, depending on degree of energy. The LCL typically fails by avulsion of the lateral epicondylar origin. Midsubstance LCL tears are less common, but do occur. Now let's talk about some relevant anatomy. Remember that static and dynamic stabilizers confer stability to the elbow. The primary static stabilizers include the ulnohumeral joint, the anterior bundle of the MCL, and the LCL complex, which includes the LUCL. Secondary static stabilizers include the radiocapitellar joint, the joint capsule, and origins of the common flexor and extensor tendons. Dynamic stabilizers are muscles that cross the elbow joint, which apply compressive or stabilizing force. These include the anconius, the brachialis, and the triceps. We will go over the complete anatomy and biomechanics of the elbow in a separate podcast episode. Moving on to the classification of elbow fractures, there's an anatomic description and a simple versus complex classification. The anatomic description is based on anatomic location of the olecranon relative to the humerus. As we mentioned, posterolateral dislocations are the most common. As far as simple versus complex, simple is an elbow dislocation with no associated fracture and accounts for 50 to 60% of elbow dislocations. Complex refers to elbow dislocations with associated fractures, and it may take the form of a terrible triad injury or varus posteromedial rotatory instability. With respect to a terrible triad injury, this is an elbow dislocation associated with an LUCL tear, radial head fracture, and coronoid tip fracture. Radial head fractures occur in up to 10% of elbow dislocations. As far as varus posteromedial rotatory instability, this is an elbow injury associated with an LCL tear and a coronoid fracture. Coronoid fracture characteristics can include a medial facet fracture or a comminuted fracture. As far as the presentation of elbow dislocations, symptoms include pain and swelling. On physical exam, it's important to assess the status of the skin and evaluate for open injuries. It's also important to assess the presence of a compartment syndrome, neurovascular status, as well as the status of the wrist and shoulder. Concomitant injuries occur in 10 to 15% of elbow dislocations. As far as imaging, recommended views on radiographs include AP and lateral views, as well as oblique views. AP and lateral views assess joint congruency, especially after attempted reduction. Oblique views assess for associated periarticular fractures. 
A CT scan is indicated when there is suspicion of a complex injury pattern, and it's useful to identify associated periarticular fractures. Treatment of elbow dislocations can be non-operative or operative. Non-operative management includes close reduction and splinting in at least 90 degrees for 5 to 10 days, and then early therapy. Indications for non-operative management include acute, simple, stable dislocations. Recurrent instability after simple dislocations is rare, that is, in less than 1-2% to of dislocations. Operative options include ORIF of the coronoid radial head and or olecranon, LCL repair, plus or minus MCL repair, as well as open reduction, capsular release, and a dynamic hinged elbow fixator. With respect to an ORIF, this is indicated for acute complex elbow dislocations, persistent instability after reduction, remember that the elbow requires greater than 50 to 60 degrees to maintain reduction. Other indications for ORIF include a reduction that cannot be performed closed. This is often due to entrapped soft tissue or osteochondral fragments. Open reduction, capsular release, and a dynamic hinged elbow fixator is indicated for chronic dislocations. Keep in mind that a hinged external fixator is indicated in chronic dislocations to protect the reconstruction and allow early range of motion. Now let's go over some non-operative techniques in a bit more detail. With respect to close reduction and splinting, ensure the patient has sufficient analgesia to allow for adequate muscle relaxation. The reduction maneuver requires a combination of inline traction to improve coronal displacement, forearm supination to shift the coronoid under the trochlea, and elbow flexion while placing direct pressure on the tip of the olecranon. Again, the reduction maneuver requires a combination of inline traction to improve coronal displacement, forearm supination to shift the coronoid under the trochlea, and elbow fixation while placing direct pressure on the tip of the olecranon. A palpable clunk can be appreciated after most reductions. Make sure to assess post-reduction stability. Keep in mind that the elbow is often unstable in extension and is also often unstable to valgus stress. You can test this by stressing the elbow with the forearm in pronation to lock the lateral side. Place these patients in a post-reduction posterior mold splint in flexion and appropriate forearm rotation. Make sure to splint in at least 90 degrees of elbow flexion, and if the LCL is disrupted, the elbow will be more stable in pronation. If the MCL is disrupted, the elbow will be more stable in supination. Again, if the LCL is disrupted, the elbow will be more stable in pronation. If the MCL is disrupted, the elbow will be more stable in supination. Make sure to obtain post-reduction radiographs, and if the joint is concentric, immobilize for 5 to 10 days and start early therapy. Obtain repeat radiographs at 3 to 5 days and 10 to 14 days to confirm reduction. As far as rehabilitation, initially you will immobilize for 5 to 10 days, as we just mentioned, and keep in mind that immobilization for greater than 3 weeks results in poor final range of motion outcomes. Early rehabilitation will involve supervised active and active assist range of motion exercises within a stable arc with a therapist, an extension block brace is used for 3 to 4 weeks, and you can proceed with light-duty use 2 weeks from injury. As far as late rehabilitation, the extension block is decreased such that by 6 to 8 weeks after the injury, full stable extension is achieved. Now let's talk about operative technique in a bit more detail, specifically ORIF of the coronoid, radial head, and repair of the LCL, plus or minus the MCL. The approach depends on the pathology. The Coker approach is used to address the LCL complex, common extensor tendon origin, coronoid, capitellum, and or radial head fractures. When approaching the joint, for example for radial head fractures, during deep dissection, make the incision slightly anterior to the midline of the radial head to protect the posterior fibers of the LCL complex. 
make sure to take care with the retractor placement to avoid injury to the PIN. The medial approach is used to address the MCL, flexor pronator mass origin, and or comminuted coronoid fractures. Make sure to identify and protect the ulnar nerve. Finally, a posterior approach can also be taken. With respect to reconstruction, we'll talk about coronoid fractures, radial head fractures, LCL, and MCL. As far as RIF for coronoid fractures, this is rarely needed as most fractures involve only the coronoid tip proximal to the insertion of the brachialis. However, in cases where RIF of the coronoid is indicated, this is typically approached laterally, but this can also be addressed via a medial approach, especially if comminuted. As far as RIF for radial head fractures, when placing fixation on the proximal radius, one must be aware of the quote safe zone, which is a 90 degree arc in the radial head that does not articulate with the proximal ulna. The safe zone can be identified by its relationship to Lister's tubercle and the radial styloid. Another option for radial head fractures is a radial head arthroplasty. This is indicated if the radial head cannot be reconstructed. If the radial head is replaced, the replacement should be anatomic and restore normal length slash size. This improves the varus and external rotatory stability of the elbow, but stability isn't restored until the LCL is addressed. Excision of the radial head leads to varus slash external rotatory instability when the LCL function is absent. Moving on to the LCL, this is typically repaired or reconstructed. Keep in mind that extensor origin avulsion is common and may be repaired. Moving on to the MCL, if instability persists following LCL repair, the MCL is repaired or reconstructed. A hinged external fixator is only necessary if the elbow remains unstable after attempt at fixation, as we just described. Postoperative care depends on the stability of the elbow. Active range of motion exercises may commence while using a brace. An extension block may or may not be used. Finally, let's end this review session talking about some surgical complications, specifically early stiffness, varus postromedial instability, neurovascular injuries, compartment syndrome, damage to the articular surface, recurrent instability, heterotopic ossification, as well as contracture slash stiffness. With respect to early stiffness, loss of terminal extension is the most common complication after closed treatment of a simple elbow dislocation. Early active range of motion can help prevent this from occurring. Static progressive splinting can be helpful after inflammation has decreased. This is often between six to eight weeks after surgery. With respect to varus postromedial instability, this can occur with injury to the LCL and fracture of the anteromedial facet of the coronoid. Solid fixation of the anteromedial facet is critical for functional outcome and prevention of arthrosis. With respect to neurovascular injuries, brachial artery injuries are rare and are typically associated with open dislocations. Ulnar nerve injury typically results from stretch and median nerve injury is rare and is typically associated with brachial artery injuries. As far as heterotopic ossification, this may require excision to improve elbow range of motion. Finally, as far as contracture slash stiffness, this is correlated with immobilization beyond three weeks. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. The first question reads, the essential lesion in recurrent or posterior instability following a simple dislocation of the elbow typically involves which of the following structures? And the choices are 1. Medial collateral ligament, 2. Lateral ulnar collateral ligament, 3. Corcohumeral ligament, 4. Anterior joint capsule, and 5. Posterior joint capsule. So the lateral ulnar collateral ligament is the essential lesion in recurrent or persistent instability following simple dislocations of the elbow. 
Simple elbow dislocations are usually stable and may be managed by a short period of immobilization followed by early range of motion. Treatment of dislocations resulting in persistent instability frequently involves focusing on the lateral ulnar collateral ligament. The medial collateral ligament is repaired only if treatment of associated fractures and lateral collateral ligament injury does not restore stability. But the correct answer to this question is 2. The lateral ulnar collateral ligament is the essential lesion in recurrent or posterior instability following a simple dislocation of the elbow. Moving on to the next question. Which of the following is most commonly associated with both simple and complex elbow dislocations? And the choices are 1. Radial head fracture. 2. Radial neck fracture. 3. Loss of terminal extension. 4. Repeat dislocation. And 5. Coronoid base fracture. So elbow dislocations are classified as either simple, that is, with no associated fracture, or complex, or those with an associated fracture. The goal of treatment is a stable joint that tolerates early motion. The initial range of motion is the stable arc found on post-reduction examination. Studies have demonstrated a better outcome when simple elbow dislocations are treated non-surgically rather than with surgical repair. Simple elbow dislocations usually have an excellent outcome that is return of functional range of motion with normal strength. A loss of terminal extension is the most common sequelae, making three loss of terminal extension the correct answer to this question. Ross et al. reported on 20 patients with simple closed posterior elbow dislocations who were treated with immediate active range of motion under close supervision. They found a final arc of motion of negative 4 to 139 degrees, with final motion reaching a mean of 19 days after dislocation. Only one patient had recurrent instability. Moving on to the next question, you are planning open reduction and internal fixation for a comminuted radial head fracture. To avoid impingement with the proximal ulna, you need to carefully place your fixation. What percent of the proximal radial head articulates with the proximal ulna? And the choices are 1, 0%, 2, 75%, 3, 50%, 425%, and 5, 100%. So this is a straight anatomy question, and only 75% of the radial head articulates with the ulna, making 2 the correct answer to this question. The remaining 25%, which does not articulate, is considered the safe zone and is important for placement of fixation. Caputo et al. looked at 24 cadaveric arms and found the average arc of the non-articulating radial head was 113 degrees, with a range of 106 degrees to 120 degrees, with a standard deviation of 4 degrees. They found the non-articulating portion of the radial head, or the safe zone for prominent fixation, consistently encompassed a 90-degree angle localized by palpation of the radial styloid and Lister's tubercle. Smith et al. in a similar cadaveric study identified a 110-degree safe zone based on cross-sectional dissections and landmarks. In this regard, they were able to show this 110-degree arc of safe articulation in the proximal radius. And moving on to the last question for this topic, what is the most common mode of failure of the lateral ulnar collateral ligament associated with an elbow dislocation? And the choices are 1. Ligament avulsion off the humeral origin, 2. Ligament avulsion off the ulnar insertion, 3. Mid-substance rupture, 4. Bony avulsion of the humeral origin, and 5. Combined proximal and distal ligament avulsions. 
So the lateral ulnar collateral ligament is often injured with elbow dislocations and is most commonly injured at the proximal origin. McKee noted that in 62 consecutive operative elbow dislocations and fracture dislocations, the LUCL was ruptured in all of the patients, proximally in 32, bony avulsion proximally in 5, mid-substance rupture in 18, ulnar detachment in 3, ulnar bony avulsion in only 1, and combined patterns in 3. Pew et al. established a standard protocol to treat elbow fracture dislocations, that is a terrible triad, which includes coronoid repair, radial head repair slash replacement, LUCL repair, and MCL and or external fixation as needed. That's all for this review about elbow dislocations. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow.